everyone. Welcome back to the Queens of Social Work podcast. I'm your co-host, Queen P. And I'm your co-host, Queen H. We invite you all to join us this week as we share, laugh, cry, and learn through our experiences as women of color who happen to be social workers. So let's get into it. So recently, I came across a 2016 article from Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America called Racial Bias in Pain Assessment and Treatment Recommendations and False Beliefs about Biological Differences Between Blacks and Whites. They surveyed 222 white medical students and residents, and their research showed that at least half of them endorsed at least one myth about physiological differences between Black people and white people, including that Black people's skin is thicker than white people's skin. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm familiar and read that article too. According to the article, when the providers were asked to imagine how much pain white or Black patients experience in hypothetical situations, they insisted that Black people felt less pain, which made the providers less likely to recommend appropriate treatment. Look, I don't even like the cold. So we're talking about pain. <laughs> we need, we pain is way over there. It's, look, right, if I go outside, right. I can feel when the temperature dropped two degrees. So oh. I don't know where <laughs> I don't know where they I don't know where they get that from. Exactly. You may or may not know that there is a real crisis among women of color and their birthing experiences. Serena Williams spoke about her experience. Beyonce also spoke out about hers. And there have been so many other media cases of young women of color who've died due to healthcare complications. There are so many stories and cases of people of color just not getting the help that they need. Sometimes it's our mistrust of healthcare professionals. Sometimes it's just that we aren't equipped or prepared to deal with questions from our providers or even asking our providers questions. Sometimes we have anxiety when we think about even seeing a doctor. And sometimes it's a lack of healthcare literacy. And sometimes it's just plain old racial bias and discrimination, okay? Since we are approaching the holidays, we want to take this opportunity to talk about how important our health is. We can't really live our best lives if we're not taking care of ourselves. How important it is to have providers who will listen to us and believe us, how important healthcare literacy is, and how important it is to educate ourselves and get in tune with our bodies. Yes, yes. So today we're sitting down with founder and executive director, CEO of Graphics Program, executive director and host of the Kai Smith Show, owner of G Apparel Fashions and motivational speaker, Kai Smith, aka King Kai. King Kai was born and bred during the three most ominous eras of New York City, the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Kai personally lived the Harlem street life, the street life that many of today's rappers and actors actually portray in their movies and what they sing about. This living that he was living resulted in him spending 16 consecutive years in juvenile institutions and adult prisons in three different states. Released from prison in 2002, labeled a career criminal with six felonies and written off by society as absolutely helpless, Kai vowed to not only change his life, but the lives of others who were also caught in the cycle like he was. Determined to change, Kai not only founded Graphics, which is a nonprofit agency that assists at-risk youth, current gang members, inactive gang members, the incarcerated, formerly incarcerated, and absent fathers with successfully reforming the attitudes and behaviors that directly correlate to unhealthy decisions. He founded that in 2003, and he also secured his BA and MBA from Metropolitan College of New York 
an executive MPA from Rutgers University, and a PHR from the Society of Human Resource Management. He's also currently pursuing a PhD in organizational psychology and operations management. And that all was a mouthful. Thank you yes. for being here. <laughs> we are honored to have you. He got it going on. He got a, he got A, B, C, D, E, F, G, Elemental B. I mean, first, thank you guys for having me. Like, you know, um, I've gotten to the point in my in my in my life and in my career where I kind of fell back from doing a lot of stuff in the media because, you know, once upon a time I was in somebody's newspaper or on somebody's TV show. It looked like every month someone was calling me to do something. But then what I started to pick up was the media was spinning everything to to make it seem as if my success was sensationalizing prison in some capacity. And I felt like the media spin on the message that I was trying to portray was doing more harm to Black and Hispanic children in, in communities of color. So I pulled back from it. So I thank you guys for having me. This is definitely a show that I definitely wanted to do just because of the concept and just because of you guys. And I know that it's going to be straight with no chaser. You know, so thank you guys for having me. You know, I came home on a mission and the mission that I came home on was to change my own narrative, right? Like I, I wanted to be that person that was able to accomplish something by first holding myself accountable, right? It's easy to come home from prison and say, well, it's the white man that bring the drugs in the country and the white man that make the guns but if you look at some of the stuff that I have on YouTube, I've done shows and I've said, last time I checked, I've never seen a white guy bringing a bag full of guns into the hood. That was my job. I went to the flea market in the other states and with the drug money and got the guns and came on the Greyhound and paid the Greyhound dude and bought it back. And that was me doing that, you know, and, 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 and going to get the drugs. And so I came up with this thing in my mind while I was incarcerated on the way home. And, and this was the fire that I had in my belly that when I came home, you know, saying this to myself, the, the 80s and the 90s, the crack era of the 80s and the 90s, I contributed these hands right here. I contributed to the moral decay of Black and Hispanic communities in the 80s and 90s with the amount of heroin and cocaine that I brought into the community. So my grandmother always said, if you make a mess, clean it up. So now we got, here come the late 90s and the 2000s, and you got the kids running wild, shooting each other, stabbing each other, disrespecting old people. Well, that was my mess. I created that mess with the poison that I brought into the community in the 80s and the 90s. That was my mess. So I can't then go to prison and be rehab, get myself together and then come home and go to school and start acquiring the degrees and everything. And now it's like I'm turning my nose up to the hood when everything that's going on in the hood, I'm the one that did it before I left. You know, there's a lot of that that's going on. So that was the reason why, you know, I have the degrees and everything else. And it was because I had that fire, right? Like I had to come home and exhaust every remedy to do something about the damage that I did before I left. We love it. We love it. I think accountability is what a lot of people lack. And so the fact that you wanted to do that and own responsibility, right? Because we're responsible for ourselves and, you know, and we're responsible for the environment we create. 
right? And so it's important for us to address it accordingly. And so we thank you for being here. And so to just get into it a little bit, how do you know Queen P? Oh, man. <laughs> I met Queen P through a, a mutual friend um, of ours. When Queen P read my profile, the graphics program, I've been the founder and executive director of graphics for the past 20 years. But woven into the fabric of that 20 years, for the past four years, I built and led this thing called Health Homes Care Management. And it's a program that is a subsidiary of the Affordable Care Act. And so one of the things that prison did for me, prison turned me into a nerd because while I was there, you know, after you get through the cutting and the stabbing and getting stabbed and cutting, cutting and stabbing people and all of that, then you get to a place where it's like, I don't have anything to prove. And then you sit down and you just want to read, right? And so I got into a point where I wanted to just read and, you know, my grandmother instilled that in me while I was a kid. And so I have this love for reading. And I sat down and I read the entire Affordable Care Act. And so while Black people and people of color are saying that President Obama really wasn't our president because he didn't do anything for us, but in all actuality, he did. The, the thing that President Obama did for us was the Affordable Care Act, because the Affordable Care Act, while some people don't agree with it, woven into the fabric of the Affordable Care Act is the gateway to introduce to states this vehicle called health homes. And the health homes concept, it, it's a concept where children are afforded the opportunity to have healthcare providers fully covered by Medicaid. But now the rumor in the hood is that with Medicaid, you can only get subpar healthcare. What the Affordable Care Act did was it allowed states to empower community-based organizations to become parent health homes and the parent health homes were responsible for subcontracting smaller level community-based organizations that will go out into the community and identify their own clients. And woven into the fabric of that is the state pays the staff to then go out and identify the single absolute best healthcare providers that will accept Medicaid. So now if you think about if you are a professional employee and you're not on public assistance and you're not on Medicaid, when you think about your own personal health benefits and you get the electronic version or the manual, it's probably three, four, five thousand doctors in that manual that are either in your healthcare network or they're not in your healthcare network. But what the Affordable Care Act and Health Homes did was it's a microcosm of that because what it did was it gave employees that were hired by the agency the option to create their own database of healthcare providers that will take Medicaid. So no longer does the mother with the two or three children have to go across the street to the clinic and the clinic directly across from the projects is the clinic that will, will give you airdrops if something wrong with your eye. And I don't mean no harm, but let's call it state <laughs> to state. Most clinics that set up shop right across the street from the projects is usually the doctors that are on their last leg to get disbarred. They're doctors in other countries. They just can't make it. 
And so you see this thing called the projects with all these little black and brown kids running around and the medical facility is set up right across the street because as Americans, we like things quick. We like things quick. We like things fast. Well, the Affordable Care Act and health homes gave care management agencies the ability to hire staff. And then it was that staff's responsibility to go out into the community and find the single absolute best healthcare providers that will accept Medicaid. Well, I took it a step further. Using the charisma that God has given me, I've approached quite a few healthcare providers that never took Medicaid and convinced them to now be compensated by Medicaid just so the kids that come through our program can be serviced by them. It's just a matter of you know how you look at it, how you read the policy. But if the policy is read and interpreted, and, and I, I want to make this clear on the show, this is, has nothing to do with Black supremacy, nothing to do with anything against white people. It has everything to do with data. If the people that are reading the policy and the people that are interpreting the policy and the people that are rolling out the policy don't look like us and don't have our participation in the design of what they're rolling out, what is the likelihood that it's going to be something that's catered to us? The words on the website will say that it caters to us. And they'll find staff members that look like us to get out into our neighborhoods to convince us that it works for us. But as you get into it and you peel the layers back, parents and caregivers will see the services and they'll see that this is really not for us. And it's not me saying this. This is a hundred years worth of data. This is data from every universally recognized educational institution in the world. Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Stanford, MIT, Oxford, every educational facility in the world that's renowned for producing educational scholars mm -hmm. stand on the fact that people of color have better healthcare outcomes when they're serviced by providers of color. All right. So while we're there, tell me about better urban health. What is it? The impetus for it? And what do you hope to accomplish by providing this service, working with this population? You kind of teed it up, you know. <laughs> All these institutions are saying the same thing. I mean, the data is the data, yeah. right? We have yeah. better outcomes when we work with people or people work with us who look like us. Mm -hmm. So talk to me more about that and what better urban health is and what is it doing? So the long name is the Collaborative for Better Urban Health. Um, the DBA, which is the short name, is Better Urban Health. And so the Collaborative for Better Urban Health is an aspiring care management agency born from a clear unmet healthcare need when it came to quality services for children of color by providers of color. After collectively investing more than 200 years of professional service within the human services, social services, juvenile justice, and healthcare industries, Supported by more than 25 New York State licenses and advanced degrees, the founders and contributors of Better Urban Health recognized that children of color were being both underserviced and underrepresented 
and they decided to do something about it. Now I say aspiring because there's still one more step that the company has to go, go through in order to get the DOH and OMH accreditation. And so how are we helping? We're helping because we understand today's disparities in minority healthcare. We've built a model to address that imbalance via healthcare literacy, creating a new standard for healthcare, introducing new healthcare connections, and establishing provider client trust. I personally, I probably would have to redo this survey because I'm one of those people, if I have an idea before I try to barter for support, I'll get out and do it myself. I personally went out and stood in front of four different welfare centers in four different communities in four different boroughs and spoke personally to 25 moms that were coming in and coming out. And I asked them different questions, you know, and the questions that I asked them with my little pad and pen, it, it came down to, they would make better healthcare decisions for themselves and their children if they knew more, which is healthcare literacy, if they had better access, if they had faith in the medical system of the United States of America, and if there were providers that looked like them that they felt had their best interests at heart. And watch this, here's a building. If mom does not feel that a single doctor in that building has her best interest at heart, what is the likelihood of her taking her child to see any doctor in that building? Slim to none. Zero. 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 And you guys know, that's just how we are. We could go into a building, and if we get one bad experience in that building, the whole building is wrote off. The it's a wrap. Is wrote off. It's a wrap. You know what I mean? And so that peels back the layers of healthcare literacy. And so, so the concept of better urban health is taking the data from the past hundred years and the icing on the cake for me was the data that came out with regards to people of color who contracted COVID and the number of people of color that we lost as a direct result of COVID and that are still getting COVID today. I felt like, wow, I put 20 years into building one of the most recognized juvenile justice programs probably in the country. And kids love me everywhere I go. So I said to myself, how can I barter against what I built with graphics, the relationship that I have with kids from graphics, the relationship that I have with parents from graphics. Some of my graphics kids came to me at 13 years old. They're married with their own kids now. You know, so, and, and I still keep in contact with them. So how can I borrow something against that to now shift directions and say, okay, healthcare literacy, follow me. If the data shows that the quality of the education in urban communities is subpar when it's up against education from communities that don't look like ours, why are we continuously pumping medicine into communities of color with languages on the bottles that nobody understands. And then we get frustrated when people don't take the medicine or they misuse the medicine. There's this guy, 
he might not be the smartest guy in the world, but he said, if you keep doing something the same way and expecting a different result, your ass is crazy. He sounds smart to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> he sounds smart That's to it. me. So, and I just said, you know what? Barack Obama said, and if not you, who? And if not now, when? So I said, you know what? I got to try. And I ran the idea past Cecilia. And she was like, I got you. And the ball just started rolling. And, you know, a year later, oh, I, I don't even want to let the rabbit out the, out the hat, the cat out the bag, but this is really going to be something special. Uh, the people that are putting their fingerprints on this thing, this is really going to be something special. Listen, I'm looking forward to seeing what develops. And so do you consciously, and I feel like you do, but we still going to ask this question. Do you consciously think about the role your intersecting identities, Black, male, formerly incarcerated, play in how you have delivered services in the past and how you intend to deliver services now? Oh, man, like that. Sometimes I feel, I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes I feel good about it, but sometimes it hurts, man. Sometimes I feel good about it, you know, when I'm, when I'm sitting in my office and I'm getting things done. And I realize that had my grandmother had not put my behind when I was seven or eight years old for not reading the books. And I, I never would have had an educational foundation. You know, when I went and decided I wanted to be in the streets and selling drugs and, and selling guns and doing all that kind of stuff and, and went to prison and was going back and forth to prison, had my grandmother had not whooped my behind when I was eight, nine and 10 years old because I didn't read the books that she told me to read, I never would have had a love for books. So I would have been in the prison cell like most prisoners with the inability to read and comprehend. Now I'm going to get into stuff I didn't have that. I could, I could go to the library and get a book and fall back and fall in love with the book because my grandmother beat my behind when I was eight because I didn't read the book. And so now moving forward all these years, African-American man, formerly incarcerated, 6'3", speak with authority. I got, I got a lot of the boxes checked. Um, it feels good because I know that the gift that God gave me was the love for reading policy and procedure. I, I don't know why I get a kick out of it, I just do. So the gift is loving to sit down and read six or 700 pages of policy and then being able to take that policy and turn it into a language that people understand. I'm I'm sorry, I gotta interrupt you there because you said six or seven hundred pages of policy. And I yeah. I'm like, I will fall asleep after page 10. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. No, I I, I mean I, I if I could that's like, it. If I could insanity. I mean, I waste a lot of paper, but I'll I'll print it, you know, eight, nine hundred pages. I'll print it. I'll sit down with it for a week or two with my highlighters, you know, commit some things to memory, and then I'll end up throwing it away because it's a lot of other stuff that I want to read. But 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 back to your question. So it feels good to be in that space, if only to myself, to be able to expose people because I still dress like I'm from the hood. I still talk <laughs> with my hands and everything like I'm from the hood because I'm I'm in Harlem right now, I'm still in the hood. But then it's a little game that I play with myself. Anytime I go to a meeting and I walk in the room, I always look to my left. And usually the first six people that I see, I got more education than the first six people that I see sitting to my left when I go in the room. 
right? With felonies and prison and all, that's a game that I like to play with myself. And it, it feels good in that capacity. It feels bad because, I'll give you a classic example. I was walking back from 125th, right? I like to walk. So I was walking back home from 125th Street. I walked across 132nd Street on Lenox Avenue where the McDonald's is. I may have taken about 15 steps on the north side of 132nd Street and the kid behind me got killed. Somebody shot, another kid shot another kid right behind me and killed him. It breaks my heart and it, it hurts me because you know, Queen P has heard me say this. Anybody that listens to me will hear me say this. I'm doing a motivational speaking piece on this very thing that I'm getting ready to say. Nobody's coming for us. All we got is us, right? Like you look at global warming, like we're having tornadoes in New Jersey. We're having tornadoes in, in New York City. Whatever's going on is changing. We are the only people that's not changing with it. Everyone else and this is not anything towards any other race, any other, this, these are just the facts. This is my truth. When I look, everyone else has huddled up and they're doing what they need to do for them to make sure that they got what they need so they can get where they're going, so they can get what they want. It's us doing it to us. And so it hurts because I was in that space. I sold guns. I sold hand grenades. I shot people. So I was in that space. I understand. I get it. But we don't have the kind of time that it took. Like Ian Levant's book says, one day my soul just opened up. The timeline in between me coming home from prison and getting it where my whole entire life did a complete 180. It's a lot of time in that space. Kids today and people, we don't have that kind of time. We're living in a time where the former president of the United States got on national television in a presidential debate and told a white supremacist group to stand back and stand by. And then January 6th happened. And then after January 6th happened, if you go to Google right now and you key in, what is QAnon? It will tell you QAnon is the nation's largest white supremacist organization. And then if you key in, how many members from QAnon are running for governmental office this year? Almost 50 people from QAnon. Uh, so what, this is not Kai said, I don't have anything to do with this. This ain't me. This ain't me. This ain't that, me. So if we get a president that is right in line with this organization, and if we get elected officials around the country that's right in bed with this organization, what is this saying about what? Y'all y'all better stop me because I could just listen, keep going on with it. <laughs> listen, no, I hear you. It's, it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. So it's, it's a crazy world. It is. It really is. Things are happening in America. Okay, so our next question is, how does Better Urban Health navigate the challenges of Western standards of care along with African spirituality or consciousness? 
how does that show up in your work at all? I know you said before, you know, why is our first line of defense to give children medication and pump them with meds? We can't even read the bottle. We don't even know the name of the medication that we're prescribed to, but we're prescribed to this and we are uh, supposed to take it as, you know, as indicated by our providers. Mm -hmm. So speak to me about how Better Urban Health uh, plans to navigate that, you know, Western standard of care and mm -hmm. spirituality, consciousness, you know, that. I do believe in medicine, right? Like I believe in science because I know enough, I have enough education to know that science is genuine, right? Science is just people putting formulas together, putting things together and when it works, conveying the results. And when it doesn't work, conveying the results of as to why it didn't work, right? So what better urban health is in line to do, and, and part of me doesn't want to share too much, but I have to because I'm on the show. But because I because I understand that people that don't look like don't look like us will take this information and then they'll weave it into the fabric of their model, right? And they'll 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 identify people that look like us in, in the whole gamut that I was talking about a few minutes ago. But my truth is this: from as far back as I can remember, first grade, second grade, I've always had kids that look like me, my age, in my classroom that had to take some kind of medication at a specific time. I never knew what the medication was because I was three, four, five, six, but it was always a child in my class that when it came around lunchtime, you had to take some kind of medication or you, you, you always knew that this one, that whatever child it was, and I'm not saying special under the auspices of being mentally challenged. I'm saying special in, with regards to the teacher needed to do something different with him or her than they did with us, right? So now watch this. So life goes on and I become incarcerated. Being incarcerated was the first opportunity I got to see someone behave a certain way with medication and then behave a certain way without medication. Because most people that you see in society on the streets that are mentally unstable, you see them in a mentally unstable state. But if you walked around your neighborhood, you would never see that same mentally challenged person when they're taking their medication. Because when they take their medication, they're either still in the hospital, they're still at home. They're still, it's when they're wandering around and they don't take their medication is when they present to society the way that they present. And then I start going to school and reading. And, and I just felt like having a great grandmother that was a slave, being from Beaufort, South Carolina, when I got sick as a child, my great grandmother would go out into the woods and she would come back with a bag full of stuff. Stuff was in that bag, looked like she'd get ready to go fight somebody, all kind of stuff in this bag. Rub a little bit of this, break off some of this, squeeze some of that, sprinkle some of this. The next day, I'm up in the yard playing again. Okay, I'm thinking, what would it look like if we just said to Western medicine, we don't want to alleviate you. We don't want to move you out of the way. What we just want to do with you is we want to, and I'm country, y'all, so you got to excuse me. We just want to take that metal plate and turn the back, the pilot on in the back and turn the fire down and put that metal plate on that and put that pile of rice back there and just let it soak. 
We don't want to turn the fire off under you. We just want to put the pot back there and turn the fire down and let it just sit there for when we need you, right? How about what would it look like if we went back to those proven African Afrocentric non-pharmaceutical practices just to see if it worked. Now, if a licensed clinician, and I have a small army of them, if a licensed clinician deems that this child is in need of Western medicine immediately, then that's the way we go. However, what I'd like to do is, what I'd like to experiment with is, Queen H, what would it look like if children that look like us started going to bed back at nine o'clock, stop eating a bowl full of Lucky Charms every morning. Let me tell Stop you. including the pack of Starburst with their lunch. Like, what would it look like? What Some healthy would children. It look like? Yeah, you, yeah. What would it look like? I just wonder what would it look like if you came to Harlem and the Bronx, you would see one fruit stand every 10 blocks in Flatbush, Brooklyn, them, them West Indian people was like, we ain't gonna be every block. You got, yes. I seen some, I seen some fruit and vegetable stands that take up the whole block. You can't even walk on the block. Listen, you, and there don't be no rotten fruit or vegetable because that turnover rate on them fr fruits and vegetables be high. So they got to come in there fresh. Okay. What would it look like? What would it look like? What would it look like? What would it look like if we just took children and said, we're going to add an extra layer of protection around your child. We're going to consult with probably the doctor that doesn't look like us. We're going to have a, a primary care provider that looks like us to consult with the doctor that doesn't look like us. We're not just saying we're against medicine. We're stopping kids from using medicine because we, we, we don't need that kind of press. We don't need that kind of accident. We, we don't need that. What we're saying is if mom decides that she's comfortable with a primary care doctor of color, that primary care doctor of color is now included on the child's care team with the other doctor and mom is going to sign the consent to give the other doctor the ability to, or the right to share information with the new doctor. And then both doctors will put their heads together with the team of better urban health licensed clinicians. We're going to take this child and we're gonna wrap this child with professional services. We're gonna put a team around this kid to say, we're, we're going to try something for 60 days or 90 days or whatever the healthcare team provides. And that looks like we're going away from this Ritalin thing or whatever else it is that they're doing. And we're going to incorporate a certain amount of television time, a certain amount of sleep, a certain amount of exercise, balanced diet. We're going, we're going back to doing what God says is supposed to go on with this machine that he gave us for this probationary period that he gave it to us. What would it look like if we did that? It might not work, like Jay-Z said, but what if it does?
No, I, I agree. You're talking about structure and structure is so important because they're quick to label little black and brown children as ADHD. They got this bipolar, that, this, that, and the third. But if you put that child in a situation with proper structure, right, you may get a different situation. Now, that's not to discount mental illness because there are people with actual mental Absolutely. illness. But Absolutely. even those people who have actual mental illness, they need balance. They need Absolutely. structure because Absolutely. if they're unbalanced, guess what? Their mental health is unbalanced. So it doesn't matter how much medication you pump them with, they unbalanced. So it's really yeah. about structure. And so yeah. that leads me into, you know, our last question, which is really, what do communities of color need to know about healthcare literacy? Wow. You know, not to promote the business too much, but to promote it, I would say- Listen, promote that thing, okay? Promote that thing. Please do. Any person of color that has a child in between the ages of zero to their 21st birthday, zero means as soon as mom finds out that she's pregnant, get in contact, go to the website and get in contact with someone from our team, reach out to us um, because what President Obama did in this Affordable Care Act is he opened the door for professionals of color to be paid to identify the best healthcare providers for all children that are eligible for the program, right? What I wanna convey to people in communities of color, which they call urban communities. And let me just say this right now, you guys need to do another show. I found something online, I was doing some research today and the CDC has declared, and Queen P, you gonna love this. The CDC has determined, has given a new name to complex trauma. Now this is this is this from this from 2014. This is old. I'm old. I'm I'm finding this out late. They call it hood disease. Oh Lord, Google hood now, disease. Now I know you got telling the truth. Say what, what now? Google hood disease. Hold on. Oh, we're going to get on the Googler, okay? I'm going to Google right now. Google hood disease. Yeah. And this ties right into healthcare literacy. Google health hood disease. <laughs> Look at <laughs> Queen Bee face. <laughs> hood disease is a new terminology that has been associated to describe a complex version of PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder that affects inner city youth. According to your child, good night. <laughs> Listen, no, 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 no. So you don't put us in these places, okay? You don't get I'm saying though. Sectioned us out of proper housing. And then you want to talk about hood disease? So well, and we so never this, go there. Okay, this, we never go there. This is the reason why we need better urban health. This is the reason why we need. For under the auspices of healthcare literacy, I need for parents and caregivers of color to get in contact with us. I want parents and caregivers of color to identify someone on my team to fall in love with. Because when you have a love for someone, that means that you trust them. 
And when you trust them, you will open up and be truthful with them. You will share, you will allow them to get behind the walls and behind the curtains so that they can begin to help you heal. Because what's going on in our communities is a direct reflection of hurt people hurting people. So healthcare literacy for me looks like a man of color, a mother of color that has a boy that's running the streets, a teenager that's running the streets, that's trying to get his life together. I have one of the most successful juvenile justice programs in the city in New York, and now I'm in children's healthcare. I purposely put myself in this position for this one reason. My sister sent me a text message the other day and she said, Kai, Brandon doesn't have a role model. Brandon is my youngest nephew. He's turning 21 in April. I sent Brandon a video, his dad is absent and everything that goes with hood disease. <laughs> and so my sister said, he doesn't have a role model, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So would you text him and talk to him every day? And I was like, you don't have to ask me that, that's my nephew. He looked at the video, I did a motivational speaking video on my 20th anniversary and posted it to YouTube. And so he looked at the video and he Googled, who is Dr. Kai Smith? And when the results came up, he screenshot it and he sent it to me. And he said, I'm so glad you're my uncle. I want to be like you when I grow up. That broke me down. I mean, I, I that's it, a broke, win. it broke me down, man. It broke me down because I don't do this for that, man. I, I do this because I ask God for a favor. Ask God for a favor. Ask God to let me get out of prison in time enough for my grandmother to see me make something out of myself before she died. One year, one month, and five days later, God opened up the doors and I got out of prison and I got a chance to spend 14 years with my queen before she died. She got a chance to see me become the person that she always knew I could be. There's been a lot of times, Queen H and Queen P, there's been a lot of times I've been homeless over graphics and better urban health. I, I put my money into this. Everybody's like, do GoFundMe. And, uh, people got to know how serious I am for the, with this before they buy into it. And so, you know, the favor that God gave me, I wanted to quit. A long time ago, I wanted to quit this thing. But then the thought popped in my head and it said, could be my grandmother. You asked God for a favor and he did it. Now, how do you know that what you're doing is not the favor that he's asking of you to repay him for what he did for you? And I'm like, oh man, that's a lot of pressure right there, man. But I'm nerdy enough to read policy. And if you could see the way that my office looked and the gift, people will stand up and listen to me speak and say, if you don't believe me, take this book right here, turn the page 463, paragraph four, subsection H, and it's going to say this, right? And, and it's not a lot of people that can do. People have tried to get me to run for office and that ain't my lane. That ain't my lane. My lane is helping the sisters that are helping me with better urban health, put their fingerprint on this thing and this graphics program so that we can have something that's here a hundred years after we're gone. That's, and, and everyone on my team, they always hear me say that. I am, and we are, legacy building, the way they talk about Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks, and Frederick Douglass, and 
we, my team is on a mission to be that, we're gonna represent that space for this era. When people are in the year 3000, talking about what happened in 2021, they're going to be talking about Queen H and Queen P and Dr. Kai. They're going to be talking about us the same way they talk about, I'm on a mission to do it. I'm on a mission to do it. Yeah. Thank you so much. And we're definitely along for that mission. Um, we love it. We thank you for being here. Please tell us where we can find you, the website, if you got oh, any man. social media, everything. all that good stuff. So tell us. Yeah, one everything, day. everything. <laughs> um, the website is betterurbanhealth.com. Mm -hmm. The Facebook is Better Urban Health. The Instagram is Better Urban Health. The Twitter is Be Urban Health. Everything is either Better Urban Health or Be Urban Health. Mm -hmm. um, you can find me personally on Twitter at, I, I removed the underscore, so it's just straight who is Kai Smith. And if that's a lot and you on Google like my nephew did, just put in who is Dr. Kai Smith. And my life is open, like, and I don't, I don't do it for stripes. I don't need social media. My my entire life is on Google, mm -hmm. but I, I don't mind it being there because sisters need to have something that they can reference to when they're saying to their little boys and their mm -hmm. brothers and their nephews and their cousins and their uncles, look at this dude, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Like you got a felony, this dude got six. And that's why I put it there and that's why I leave it there. I'm trying to find somebody to help me do the social media thing, but Google seems to have it covered for me. <laughs> you know, it's just there. And, and, and I don't mind because at the end of the day, when I put my head on the pillow, I feel like I made my grandmother smile. I don't care about very much, you know, as long as I can motivate through life feeling like I made my grandmother proud. I'm not scared of nothing. I jump out of airplanes. I'm, I'm, I'm not, nothing scares me. Nothing really bothers me. You know, I want to see people do better. I want to participate in changing the narrative of people that look like me. Um, but but I'm, my work now is to just get the warm feeling like my grandmother is smiling at me from heaven, you know? And so, and, and that keeps me from going back to criminal activity. That keeps me from treating people bad. That, that, that propels me to feed the homeless and, you know, and, and, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm just a regular guy. Like I don't, it's not my mission to feed the homeless and, and but if I'm walking by, and you tell me you hungry, my grandmother would say, now why you ain't go get him a bag of chips? Or why you ain't go, you know, you wake up every day and you go and you make the money that you make by God's grace. How you know God didn't ask him to ask you for a hamburger. Mm -hmm. So go back and buy him a hamburger. And I'd be like, oh man, I got things to do. Get out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're making her proud. You are making her proud. And we're so glad to have you. Thank you so much for coming Thank on. Thank y'all, man. Thank y'all for having me. If you guys want to connect with us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at the Queens of Social Work Pod or on Instagram at the Queens of Social Work. If you want more information on the topic we discussed today, feel free to check out our show notes or email us at thequeensofsocialwork at gmail.com. We'd really appreciate it if you rate, review, and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.